Blood and Crystal, Chapter 4 I think I'll go out for a nice meal tonight. Ultimus smacked his lips. Spend my bonus on some real food. Beef pie and fried potatoes. None of that foreign muck we usually get. Foreign muck, Sancha probed. Her face was turned away from the prisoners in the cage, but there was definitely the hint of a scowl in the tone of her voice. Song had been listening for some time. After the initial shock of being imprisoned in the jail cart, her mind had focused on the prospect of escape rather than the reality should she fail. And to get out, she reasoned, it would take both cunning and a fair bribe. She sat quietly and listened to the guardsman's inane prattle for just the right moment to interject. Those curries and marinated meats. I like a leg of lamb, but why smother it in these spices? It's just not natural, Ultimus shuddered theatrically. My mother was a better cook than most of these street vendors, and she was half daft. I can imagine, Sancha sighed, setting a hand to her temple. Do you hate all food with taste? Or is it just ingredients from outside the empire that you have an issue with? I can understand the distaste for southerners, heathens to a man, but their spices... That's worth expanding the empire for. Song pursed her lips. She had been hoping that the worldly Canaan would give Ultimus the dressing down he deserved. But it seemed that though the pair's tastes differed, an imperial was still an imperial. Sancho was just as much a bigot as Ultimus, and any number of others. So Song, being from the Far East, would surely fall into a category the pair assumed to be a heathen. If she was to bribe them, she might need to exaggerate the extent of her wealth, just a little. And I think you'll find, Sancho continued, that here in Newman, your bland garlish fare is the foreign mark. Well, uh, no, Ultimus shuffled on the jail cart bench. What will you do with your bonus, anyway? Before the guardswoman could reply, Song thrust herself up to the edge of the cage so that her face was just to the back of the two guards. I have money, she tried to be blunt. There was no point dancing around the subject, not with how little time she had left. Whatever your bonus is, I'll match it. No, double it. I have wealthy relatives in Marjor. Just drop me off on the corner there. Not talking, was all Sancha had to say in response. Ultimus seemed to be mulling it over but perhaps he was just teasing a morsel caught between his teeth. I have gold, lots of it, and crystals, eastern jewellery. She tried not to sound too desperate. Nobody even knows you caught me. You could just let me go. I very much doubt a pawnbroker's wife is flush with jewels, Ultimus snorted, especially given the state of your shop. I'm no pawnbroker's wife. I'm... I'm a thief. Song didn't know what else to say, and perhaps an admission of some kind of guilt would be more convincing than pleading plain innocence. We'll see what the executioner has to say about that, then. The guardsman cast a sly look back at her. If we report that you're a thief as well as a killer, you might lose your hands before your head. Might increase our bonus, too. No, you can't! Song rattled the bars. This is the Empire! I need a trial or something first! That's right, isn't it? Well, Ultimus hocked phlegm but didn't yet spit it into the roadway, instead opting to finish his thought with his mouth full of shudder-inducing bile. Yes and no, 
There'll be a judge there to hear your final plea and give out the official sentence. No misjudges can be a bloodthirsty lot, mind. Just be quiet, Sancha added with a snap of the reins, encouraging the cart a little faster. I'm not averse to shooting you, your whining is aching my head. Song, not one to be deterred by the idle threats of an imperial guard, took in a deep breath to perhaps scream, plead, or simply berate her two captors into submission. She hadn't quite decided what she would do, other than make a terrible, headache-worsening racket, when a fist thumped into her belly. It's all your fault! One of Song's fellow prisoners in the jail cart screamed and grappled her midriff. She was dragged from her knees to the filthy cage floor, the shark forcing out a breathy shriek. I'm going to kill you! You ruined my life! Her song toppled backwards and the world became a blur. So, too, did her mind become dazed with confusion. All at once, she was scared and angry and confused, primarily because she couldn't quite place the voice of her attacker. She had crossed many people over the years, and perhaps even ruined the life of a few, but many of them had been Eastern, so their dialect would have been distinct. Even of the mainland Imperial she had slighted, she couldn't recollect one who sounded as green about the gills as her attacker. He had a boyish whine to his voice, and didn't sound too far from crying. But from the sheer number of enemies she had racked up over the years, was it really all that likely she would recollect them in an instant? Probably not. Fortunately for Song, in addition to the feeble quality to her attacker's voice, his grip wasn't all that tight either. Even more fortuitous, when Ultimus and Sancha apprehended her, they had been in such a hurry they had failed in their duty to search her body for hidden weapons. As she writhed over, trying to get a good look at who exactly she would be fighting this fine Tuesday morning, her hand darted for the blade concealed beneath the loose fabric of her trouser leg. "'You did this to me!' the boyish voice had some scorn to it, but it still didn't seem all that threatening. In his apparent grief and anger, the attacker seemed to have lost all semblance of exactly how to fight. His arms just flopped about Song in a pitiful grapple. He missed many occasions to jab her in the ribs, but she wouldn't be so forgiving. It would be a dagger between his ribs. It was slightly harder for Song to reach her blade than usual, what with the heavy iron shackles weighing her wrists and binding them together. And though she managed to delve one hand into a pocket, the iron prevented her from getting more than a fingertip on the pommel. She would have forced her hand in and ripped the fabric had she needed but as she finally pivoted around, Song came to assess her attacker as not that much of a threat at all. Tears were streaming down his cheeks. His eyes were a sore red and already full of defeat. Though she didn't know the man, she did recognise him. The young man wore the same uniform as the pair driving the cart, only dirtied and a little scuffed. He had been the one who had tried to stop her in the marketplace, and had accidentally loosed the brains of an innocent bystander with a stray bullet. It seemed that he wasn't far wrong in his accusations. If Song hadn't been fleeing through the bazaar, this man wouldn't be on the way to his execution right now. Equally, his own hubris and poor aim had a part in landing him here, so Song didn't feel a great deal of remorse. Stop fighting! Sancho shouted from the driver's bench. The imprisoned guardsman ignored the order, instead reaching out to grasp Song by the neck. Though he seemed reluctant to hit her, he did still want her dead. But whether it be from dehydration or simply emotional exhaustion, his grip was pitiful. Song bunched up her body, 
planted her foot on the man's chest and thrust him to the opposite side of the cage. His head cracked on the bars, prompting a yelp. He wasn't knocked unconscious or even gravely wounded, but he slumped in defeat and shame, casting his eyes downwards. That's enough! Sancho snapped again, drawing Song's eye. The guardswoman had handed off the reins to Ultimus, and the wide mouth of her blunderbuss was yawning into the cage. Don't make me warn you again. You'd be dead already if this damned thing didn't clap so loud. Song raised her hand defensively and slumped back against the bars. Good. Sancho slipped the gun back into a brass and leather holster affixed to the side of the driver's bench and pinched the corners of her eyes. No more noise. Yes, Song added quietly with a nod. In retrospect, it was good that she hadn't pulled the knife. She would have definitely been shot then. And now that she thought about it, with the blade still a secret, she could potentially use it to escape. The rest of the journey passed without any of the cart members uttering a sound. There was still the trundle of the wheels and the noise from fellow road users, but Sancha managed to restrain her ire to a few subtle twitches. Song used the time to assess her fellow convicts for potential allies should she attempt an escape. Though the imprisoned guardsman longed for freedom, he definitely wouldn't partner with her, and the others didn't look like particularly good prospects either. There were only two. One, an old man, hunched and sour in the face, and the second was half-conscious on drink or drugs. Any escape attempt would have to be a solo venture. When the cart passed through an archway into an enclosed courtyard, and an iron-barred gate was closed, barring any exit, Song began to worry. When half a dozen guardsmen were summoned from inside the executioner's hall to escort her and her fellow prisoners, her heart sank. This wouldn't be just the surprise blade in Sancho's chest and mad dash for freedom Song had expected. As a matter of fact, the more she studied the courtyard, the more certain she became that an escape wouldn't actually be possible. The courtyard wasn't particularly large, and had just enough room for the one cart to about turn and leave, but despite the lack of space, Song could count nearly a score of guards. Some stood with their backs to the sandy stone walls that enclosed the yard. Others waited to escort the prisoners, and there were a few stationed on a fort-like battlement that spanned across the gated entrance. Each one of them had both a firearm and a side-sword. Song's hopes shifted from escape. The justice would hear her case, and would surely let her off when they heard the truth. Surely. There's a few more than you're expecting, but we've had a busy day. Ultimus passed by the side of the cage with a stack of loose papers and a large keyring. I've jotted down all the details for the justice. Thank you very much. A guard with a high-born accent took the papers from Ultimus and peered into the cage. There's still only four in there. We'll get them rattled off chop-chop, so to speak. Two of them in there are extra, don't forget. Ultimus pointed a knowing finger at the new guardsman. That means Sancho and I are in for a decent bonus once the heads roll. I'll be at the scold's bridal for supper tonight and I'll be expecting a pay packet to arrive before I've eaten my fill. I'll drop it off personally. Excellent. Oh, uh, hang on. Ultimus snatched the ring off the top of the stacked papers and quickly thumbed through the keys, finding the one he was looking for relatively quickly. He bent the ring to part it where the two ends met and removed the key. Won't be getting on without that. The pair chuckled as they parted, Ultimus back towards the driver's bench and the other to open the cage door. 
Great seeing you again, Tim. The new guards searched through the keys in very much the same way Ultimus had, finding the cage key with ease. Song couldn't help but notice that each key had a number of notches carved into them, which apparently seemed to designate which opened what. The cage door squealed open. Come on then, let's get you all inside and out of this heat. Though the guardsman was well-to-do, he was surprisingly tall and muscular, far more imposing than the toad man or the Canaan in a self-stitched uniform. He didn't, however, look out of place against the rest of the guardsmen that were stationed at the executioner's hall. A song filed out of the cage with the other prisoners, still in two minds about whether or not to skewer him with her dagger. She assessed that the men and women stationed here were certainly a cut above those left to patrol the streets. Her dilemma was quickly decided. The blade would be staying hidden for the time being. It's terribly hot out here. The well-to-do guard split the ring and hooked the keys onto a belt loop, then folded the parchments, patted the sweat beads from his forehead with them, and slipped them inside a pocket. Hurry along, then. There's no point sunning yourselves out here. It'll be hot enough where you're all going. From Song's time in the Empire, she knew highborn men, especially garlanders, often spoke as if they were chewing on a toffee. So when she noticed the small paper bag in the man's hand and the smacking of his lips between words, and realised that he was eating a toffee, she began to doubt whether he was actually highborn or not. If you'd all please make your way through there... The guard pointed towards an open doorway to the far side of the stone-slabbed courtyard, at the furthest point from the gated entrance. Song hesitated, but the procession began ahead of her. The old man led the way, brave and defiant despite his fate. The drunkard followed second, seemingly oblivious to exactly what was about to happen. Then went the shackled guard. Song looked at the open doorway. It was like the gaping mouth of a mythical beast, and she was about to walk into it and be eaten whole. Toffee, the guardsman proffered the small paper bag towards Song. What? She was taken aback. It's caramelised sugar and butter. Quite delicious. It's my birthday, so I'm treating myself. Normally I wouldn't, but you haven't to worry about the health risks anyway. He jostled the bag. Do you want one? No. Song hesitated. Thank you. Onward, then. We don't want to keep the Chief Justice waiting. The guardsman twisted the paper bag closed and gave her a little nudge towards the doorway. Slightly bewildered by the unusual guardsman, Song did as she was told. She marched through the door and joined the back of the procession. The corridor inside was fairly narrow and utilitarian. The walls had been rendered and painted, but there were no wall hangings. From a few patches of new paint and fingernail gouges in the plaster, it seemed that this was the point at which many people opted to reject their fate. The large door slammed closed behind Song with a heavy thump, and for the briefest moment she too got that fight-or-flight tightness in her chest, but she didn't act on it. "'Excuse me,' the guardsman pressed himself against the wall to pass by Song in the narrow space. "'If you'd all uh, follow uh, Song,' lurched forwards." not of her own volition, but because the guardsman's jacket had snagged on her wrist shackles. As he recoiled to prevent the fabric from ripping, his body pressed up close to hers, and for the briefest moment she thought about stabbing him again. No, she decided, the place was so well guarded it would be tantamount to suicide. Her best bet would certainly be in petitioning the justice, but if that failed, she would certainly not be going down without a fight. 
Sorry about that. The guardsman twisted himself around to pick the loose thread from a groove in Song's shackle, his lips still idly working about his toffee. He wore a pained expression at the sight of even the most superficial damage to his uniform. Damned thing! As the guardsman untangled and removed himself from Song's personal space, she noticed that the notch that had caught on the man's jacket was one of three that had been deliberately carved into the iron. For a moment, she thought it curious, but it didn't take her long to make the connection. Each key and shackle was marked with a number. It was intended to make things easier for the guards and to save them blindly trying any key whenever they wished to open the lock, but it also told Song exactly which one would release her, and it would be a damn sight easier to escape and fight without bound wrists. Actually, Song blurted, the guardsman stopped, halfway past squeezing around his shackled counterpart. I think I would like a toffee. Oh, all right then. The guardsman sidled back. Would anyone else like one while we're at it? Nobody replied, all in too much shock or stress to appreciate the offer. Song moved away from the wall and pushed her arms down in front of her, so that when the guard pressed up close, she wouldn't have enough room to raise them. The paper bag was produced from his pocket and untwisted to reveal the sweet-smelling tan cubes inside. During that time, Song had already caressed her fingers over each key on the ring and identified the one with three notches to match her shackles. She allowed her hands to leave the keys for a moment, as if reaching up to accept the toffee, then purposefully snagged herself on the guard's jacket fabric again. Oh, sorry! She tugged a little, and the cloth made that tell-tale sound of a few strands giving way. There's not enough room. Wait, the guard moved to recoil, but Song relieved the pressure on his jacket, instead returning both hands to the keyring while he was most distractive. Perhaps you could... She opened her mouth. Yes, well, the guard took a toffee from the bag. I'll just pop it in then, shall I? Song made an affirmative grunt, her mouth still agape. Softly and silently, she rotated the ring through the keys, making sure not to pull too hard on the belt loop until she had aligned the split with her own shackle key. Then, using both hands, she prized the metal apart at the join and allowed the offending key to drop into one cupped palm. She released the pressure on the key ring as gently as possible and slipped her hands back under her cloak, just as the toffee was deposited into her mouth. Thank you, she said around the large, sweet-tasting cube. No problem, the guardsman shuffled away uncomfortably, screwed his paper bag shut and stuffed it back into his pocket. Song had been toying with the idea of grazing his finger with her tongue as he fed her, just to make him all the more uncomfortable and keep his attention away from the keys, but from the deep red his face had turned, it was plain that hadn't been necessary. If you'd all follow me... The group moved down the tight corridor in single file, passing a few locked doors on either side, each one small but heavy-looking and banded with iron. As they moved, Song turned the key in each of her shackles to unlock them, but kept the bands loose around her wrists for appearance's sake. She took the key under her belt in case one of the clasps happened to click shut before she removed them. Though she knew her chances of survival were slim, having at least a partial plan to save her skin kept the worst of anxieties at bay. Here we are. If you'd all please be quiet until you're called upon, 
The guard stopped at a door that looked no different from any of the others and quickly flicked through his keys. If he noticed that one was missing, he didn't show any signs of it and pushed open the door on squealing hinges. After you? The inside of the room was not the blood-stained stone slab cell that Song would have expected an executioner to do his business in, but instead looked surprisingly how she would have imagined a courtroom on the mainland. The walls were panelled in dark lacquered wood, and the room had that fresh, clean scent of polish. There were a few benches towards the rear of the room for spectators, but at this moment there were only a few. To the fore of the room was a large, raised podium, in which the justice was sat idly toying with a gavel, and to the side of that there was a small stone block and the preparing executioner. "'It's about time!' the Chief Justice declared with a sigh and set her gavel down with a clack. A spectator, who had been dozing at the back of the room, woke with a snort. "'I've got a very important dinner appointment tonight, and I don't want to be late.' "'I'm sorry, Your Honour,' the guardsman dipped his head in reverence, quickly directing the prisoners to a small bench between the spectators and judge. "'Things have been very busy on the streets today, so I hear, "'and we actually have twice as many to sentence than the initial docket implied. "'Oh, well, at least there's some good news!' The Chief Justice shuffled a few papers on the desk and moved her gavel to the side, placing it in a precise manner before taking the extra documents from the guard. Thank you, Collie. Though she had coffee-brown skin and a vast ball of red-black hair, on top of which was perched a toupee-style disc of a white judge's wig, the Justice didn't speak like a native or local at all. She didn't even have the continental accent of her adopted empire, her timber was more akin to that of a scoldish barbarian, only tempered with the twee sweetness of an auntie that spent more time proffering tea and biscuits than sentencing people to death and disfigurement. Toffee, Your Honour, the guardsman, Collie, unscrewed his paper bag. Oh, don't mind if I do, the Chief Justice took the bag from the guardsman and set it beside her gavel, taking one and popping it in her mouth. Collie looked as if he might have asked for the remainder back, but appeared to think better of it, and returned to his post beside the convicts. But roll the sketch your act together, the justice clapped the gavel on her desk, startling the executioner to move to his post beside the chopping block. While not particularly tall, he was exceptionally wide, and had they been a thing outside of folklore, Song would have said he was a dwarf. He certainly had hairy enough forearms and a long enough beard poking out of the bottom of his black hood. Right now, who's first? The justice turned her attention back to her papers and looked over them a moment, sucking loudly on the toffee as she did so. I think we'll do the drunken reprobate first. Collie put his hand under the shackled drunk's armpit, hauled him back to his feet and pushed him in front of the chief justice. So, the justice glanced at the paperwork again. Roland Mulch, you have been accused of public urination. How do you plead? The only response was an unintelligible groan. Fair enough, the justice continued, her eyes darting back to the papers. It says here you're urinated on a guardsman's horse. That's quite vile, wouldn't you say? Another groan. This seems fairly pointless to ask, she sighed. But do you have anything to say here before you're sentencing? Unsurprisingly, the only thing that came out of the swaying drunkard's mouth was yet another groan. When was he taken in? Last night! 
He's completely out of it. The justice leant forward to peer into the drunkard's downturned face. This morning, I think, Your Honour, Collie answered, hoisting the man up a little straighter. It matters not. The justice waved the thought off with her hand theatrically and jotted something down on her papers. I'm ready to pass sentence. Are you listening, Mr. Mulch? The drunk surprised no one by groaning. Usually, if you'd have gotten one of the other justices, they would have had your wee cock removed. But I don't like to see a man like that. I don't think it's quite right. So, I'm going to be lenient on you. Give you a more straightforward sentence because I'm in such a good mood. Perhaps it's the toffee. She smacked her lips. I'm sentencing you to a nice, clean beheading. Does that sound good to you? The man groaned, perhaps his last ever groan, as he was led to the executioner's block and lowered to his knees. Song could feel herself sweating, which was strange, because she had been sweating from the heat all day. This was different. This was sweat from terror, as her own fate played out in front of her. The drunk knelt and slumped forwards onto the block, his eyes closed and calm, seemingly unaware of what was about to happen. The executioner retrieved a flat-ended sword from his trestle table of torture devices, and then with one swift motion the deed was done. Song flinched as the blade came down with an almighty thump, embedding just a little into a piece of wood set into the stone block. That was quick, she thought. There was no build-up, no emotion, and no hesitation. As soon as the drunk had been sentenced, he was dispatched as quickly and as efficiently as a cook might wring a chicken's neck. Gods, she prayed she wasn't next. 